0: Welcome to the Boiled Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don.
1: And I'm Sam. John,
0: How are you doing, man? It's good to see you again.
1: It's been a while. I even don't know the last time I actually laid eyes on your face that it wasn't like on a screen.
0: Well, that's, I mean, I say see you again. <laughs> Not, it would be, uh, you know, I need a human bath. And by that, I mean, I'd, I'd like to just be around <laughs> a bunch of humans
1: It puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. That's totally where I went with the human bath thing. What What? are you going for, man?
0: (laughs) It puts the, was that uh, Yoda?
1: That was Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon we're going to have a nice Chianti and some fava beans.
0: (laughs) That's a different kind of human bath than I was thinking of. (laughs) Well, you know I'm going to go there. (laughs) No, but so uh, have you been maintaining?
1: Um, I have been maintaining. I, I read an interesting thing uh, this morning that was a, a blurb on the, basically the stages of sustained stress and, and how they affect us. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm experiencing this. Uh, irritability, lack of contact with other people. Over the past several days, I have dramatically decreased my uh, my activity. I had a session with my therapist on... Uh, on friday over a video and and one of the things that i called out on that is that uh you know i'm just i have a lack of motivation right now uh and i'm not like beating myself up because i'm not motivated i know i mean that happens to me without a pandemic it's noticeable
0: Uh, yeah
1: but you know yesterday greg and i took a road trip and that was cool it was uh to South Carolina to pick up an RV that Greg bought in January. But uh, but yeah, it was nice to get out and and just kind of have this road trip, this major change of scenery and
0: That's cool. I haven't been anywhere. I've just been uh, here, but the thing this thing about the the virus and being cooped up and all of that, the one thing that I heard a interview with the an astronaut and he said that the main thing for him which is, you know, that an astronaut's got experience in exactly this sort of thing, staying in an enclosed space with the same people all the time. Absolutely. And he said that the main thing for him was keep his mind on the mission. He's got a mission to complete. Don't count the days. Complete the mission and focus on the mission. And so I realized that, oh, I've got a mission. And the mission is the daily AA Zoom meeting that I host at 530 that I started at the very beginning of this thing. And I thought it was Shivering
1: Denizens
0: at the hour. (laughs) That was me shivering. I thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Make make plans.
0: (laughs) But it's been but it's been really good because it has been a focus for me every day and it's where I help other people it's where I'm getting out of myself. And so it's, it's been good for my, uh, I was thinking of, of uh, changing the name from the shivering denizens to the pandemic lunatic clinic.
1: Oh my God. No, don't please. I dare you.
0: Actually, I like the, Actually, I like the big book reference, the shivering denizens.
1: Well, of course you do.
0: I and know. I like the, well, You're wait. all
1: about a big book reference.
0: We have a guest.
1: Listen. We do have a guest who's a frequent member of the Shivering Denizens, I believe. He's a Shivering Denizens.
0: He's shivering now. Hi, guest.
2: Who are you? So uh, I'm Matt, and I do. I benefit from Don's 530 Pandemic Lunatic. What was it? Pandemic <laughs> Lunatic Clinic. Lunatic <laughs> Clinic. I'm a, a refugee of the clinic, <laughs> or for the clinic, to the clinic. We're all lunatics here. (laughs) We are. And it makes me feel normal.
1: (laughs) That takes me to uh, Alice in Wonderland with the Cheshire Cat. We're all mad here. Mm. I'm mad. You're mad.
0: (laughs) So, Matt, where does the boiled owl reference come from?
2: Well, I was uh, uh, schooled just a few minutes ago. It's 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 a big big
0: book.
1: (laughs) Oh, wait. But before we we, we go with that part, now, how long have you been an active member in Alcoholics Anonymous, Matt? One day at a time. For how many years?
2: Starting So decades? I don't don't drink between now and May 20th, 33 years.
0: 33 years. 33 years without reading the big
2: book.
1: That's Not pretty impressive.
2: Have I read the big book? <laughs> Not one single time.
1: Oh, my gosh. And, and the cool thing I got to point out, because, uh, you know, obviously we can see each other and, and we know each other. But y'all, Matt's a young man. I mean, <laughs> OK, I, because I'm a young man. We're, we're about the same age. OK. Which oh, means wow. that Matt. Say,
2: how old are you?
1: I'm 49.
2: Damn. the youngin'.
1: I am the youngin but you know the thing is you you've been sober almost 33 years so that means you got sober at like 2
2: right well 19 but close <laughs> close yeah and I looked like I was 2 when I was 19 <laughs> <laughs> I bet oh I bet you got some of that I've spilled more than you ever drank sonny I totally got that yeah I, had, I was lucky enough, though, that I had a sponsor that said, we'll just tell them if they hadn't spilled so damn much, they might have got in sooner. Oh, that so, is good. Now, I never did that, but it, it helped in the head. I
0: bet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, so what year was that?
2: 1987. And you got sober in Greensboro, North Carolina? High Point, actually. High Point, North Carolina. Yeah, well, I, was, I was living in High Point and going to university in Greensboro.
0: What was the I mean, were there young people in AA? Two. Two.
2: <laughs> two. That's not really true. You know, um Alan who comes to the Saturday morning meeting was there. He was actually one of the I think I don't know exactly how much time he had. I think it seemed like forever, maybe it was a year or two. And yeah, he, right. He he seemed to be the leader of the group when I was going. <laughs> and then Kim B, Kim S now was there joe j i don't know if you guys know joe or not he's uh in raleigh now he's got a phd he went from being a a mechanic to getting his phd as a result of this program cool um so what was that like for you
0: though i mean
2: well well, right so those are the people that like landed in my head when i think back about young people and i don't think joe was the only one my age i think everybody else was in their like mid-20s which even at 19 seemed older. Right. <laughs>
0: totally. Yeah. Um, right. yeah.
2: And the first meeting I went to was, uh, and recently you had a, someone presenting the topic at uh, Shivering Denizens mentioned the new South group in high point. And that was the first meeting I ever went to and the average age in there was probably their fifties and sixties. When I walked in, I walked in with my girlfriend cause I was scared to death. Why didn't you leave? Cause you couldn't relate
0: or could you find you could relate?
2: Um, I think the reason I didn't leave, one is I had a therapist who told me I needed to be there, and she was the only person who gave me any direction or answers. Prior to that, the only direction or answers that I had found was in alcohol and, for me, other drugs. That was the only answer that I ever found that made sense, that I could live in my own skin. So I, when that quit working and I had an overdose in uh, December of 86, I went to her, and she said, you know, you really need to go to these meetings. They'll help you. And so that's really what – I didn't go at first, and I didn't start – I mean, I wasn't, like, jumping in head first. I was sticking my toe into that meeting, and it was probably – I don't honestly remember, Don, but it was probably a week before I went back to another meeting, maybe 10 days. But what I remembered was how welcoming they were. And they gave me phone numbers, and they said, come to this meeting, you go to that meeting, we'll be at this meeting. Um, so I think it was a combination of I had someone who, had, who said, go here, this will help, and had a very welcoming group of folks. I hadn't felt welcome, and I wasn't sure I actually belonged at first, yeah. but I hadn't felt no. welcomed someplace in a long time, and I think that was the real key.
0: What was um, the first time that you went to a meeting that it flipped for you and it was like, oh, this really is the answer what they're saying here. I can see how this could work.
2: So I think it was a combination. There were two meetings in Jamestown at the time. One on, thir- on Tuesday night was a young people's meeting that became my first home group. And then the very next night in the same room was a Regular meeting, not just for young people, and uh, my, it was my sponsor's home group. and I met my first sponsor in that Tuesday night young people's meeting. And I s- began to see more and more people closer to my age. There were not a lot. There might have been five or six. But this old guy, his name was Tom, Tom D. Tom was about six, four, very powerful man. Um, he really became a father figure for me he was coming to that meeting just regular. I think it was probably because it was convenient, but I just loved the fact he was coming to a young people's meeting and I could relate to his story. Now he had been married and divorced, lost his kids, was a VP at a company. That part I couldn't relate to, but when he talked about his insides and how he felt on the inside, I could relate. So it was a combination of, of Tom's story and seeing young people and that meeting that, Tuesday night meeting was maybe my home group for 10 years maybe or maybe a little longer because it was it just worked for me wow. and um, I think that was the thing that clicked for me the story and, and you know and I was scared to death of people you know the what what people do after meetings well when we're not in a pandemic is you know you go someplace and get coffee you go someplace and eat there's a lot of ice cream eating when I first got yeah, I don't know if there's as much ice cream eating now, but
0: there's a lot of ice cream eating over around here, but it's not public.
2: <laughs> Is that kind of like
0: Baptists buying their liquor in the, the A&C store <laughs> I eat I ice cream in private.
2: <laughs> we just don't talk about it. That's yeah.
1: Right. That's don't right. acknowledge anyone in the ice cream parlor.
2: That's right. Don't see them. <laughs> but um, I was scared to death to, you know, do any of that. And I remember the first time I did it it went to Swenson's hmm but I remember sitting around with those guys and some of the crazy stuff they talked about. And I just was like sitting there in awe about the stuff they were talking about. And they were all clean and sober and everybody went home and nobody got in trouble and nobody was regretful about it the next day. And that was probably three or four months after going to meetings before I let myself do that.
0: Yeah. that That's interesting though. I think I learned how the practical application of a lot of the stuff I was hearing in the meetings came from going out to lunch with my sponsor and his sponsor. And it was very early and those two guys were talking and my sponsor's sponsor, he was an older guy. He was older than me at the time. And he had been sober a long time. I think he had been sober 10 or 12 years, you know, and I was brand new. And he was right. he was talking yeah, and he was talking about um, a deal that he was making with an, another or a job that he was doing with another guy and he was bitching about this other guy I was like I mean it's been a rough morning this guy was just he he was all over me and he kept demanding that wait a minute you've got this funny look on his face wait a minute no you know what i was wrong I was wrong with that whole thing i i'm gonna have to go back and tell and tell him i was wrong about that and change it and i was sitting there going what is happening here i've never seen a grown man go wait a minute i was wrong i had never seen it before that modeling of doing that i was going oh this is a different way of being
1: yeah. My experience, Matt was similar to yours in, in that, uh, it took me, you know, several months, I think, uh, before I would say yes to mm-hmm. let's go out, get something to eat after the meeting or or coffee or whatever. My instant answer was no. When I came into these rooms, mm-hmm. um, you know, as soon as we let go of hands at the end of the meeting, I was out the door. Absolutely. Right yeah. Um, uh, but then one day, uh, you know, the, the instant answer of no uh, to anyone asking me to do something. I don't know why, we'll, we'll call it uh, Providence or whatever, but um, I said yes. And that, became, that that led me to becoming that much more a part of AA, a part of the fellowship and allowing myself the opportunity to get to know some people and see this program in practice
2: that conversion from no to yes i don't know how it works for you guys but usually now when i say no because i legitimately have something to do that's one thing but when i'm saying mm-hmm. no out of fear and i'm trying to protect myself from being judged mm-hmm. rejected uh, yeah. that weighs on me and at some point the risk of saying yes That that risk level that keeps keeps me saying no, because if I say yes, there's too much risk at some point, that weighs on me where the benefit of stepping into that outweighs the risk. And for me, it's gotten shorter, but it's still the same process. Hmm. So in other words... You know, it used to be months and months of me saying no until I could eventually say yes.
0: Give a, con- give a concrete example of something in your life. Where so you, I'll use that first example honest. of,
2: well, I'll use an example of um, starting in 2015. Uh, I had joined what's now my home group, which is the uh, Saturday morning 930 men's meeting at Summit. And I had left my previous home group of about 15 years. I've only ever had three home groups. And I was very, it was a men's meeting. It was in the uh, what uh, we refer to as the back room. You know, there are 60, 70 people in there. Very intimidating. The reason I was going to that meeting was because it was convenient. And it, I didn't feel comfortable at first. it's too big. It was a room full of men. Uh, men scare me. Men are my dad. We could all get it. I can go deep into that. There yeah,
0: you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, you know, my deep down side, my dad is, uh, he's scared like the rest of us. The adolescent, the teenage boy in me that still rages at dad struggles with the adult man in me. He says, he tries to be empathetic and understanding about that. So I walked in this room of dads and it's like, I got to be a man in here. You know, and remember, I've been clean and sober for a long time, right? It took me a good year before I could really feel connected to that group. Uh, Before I could uh, talk to people in that group, my sponsor belonged to that home group. So I was connected with him. That was kind of a cheap and easy one. But to begin to spread that out. And then the key thing happened is that meeting uh, decided to start a second meeting at the same time in the front room, where usually is 10 to 12 to 15 guys. And that's where I went because I'm much more comfortable in a smaller group. I can fade away in a crowd, man. I will watch everybody and observe everybody. I'm constantly observing. But you get me in a smaller group, it's harder to fade away. And so circumstances, you know, I put myself in a more intimate place, one, because it feels safer, but also because it really makes me have to connect. Mm -hmm. There's a great YouTube video, and it says everything we know about addiction is wrong. I don't agree with all his science behind it. But the um, the social um, isolation part, I agree with 100%. That he said addiction is about isolation and recovery is about community and togetherness. And that's really what the program is, right? And the more connected I am to people, the less addiction that I've got going on. You know, the, the more isolated I am, the more addiction is taking over my brain.
0: So what were you saying yes to by going to that meeting?
2: Connecting with people.
0: It's you know, kind be, of against your...
2: Yeah, because it's, it's it, my nature is still to keep you at bay. My nature is still, it's a reflexive nature to keep you at bay, the generic world you, right? That's right. Not you guys. And so that group helped me say yes. And then in 2016, my wife decided it was time for us to separate. In March, in May, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. We had at the time a 15 year old daughter that we had to not only inform that her parents were separating and she had no clue there was anything wrong with the marriage. And then, pretty much two months later, we had to inform her that her mother had um, stage four lung cancer. And that absolutely, I was either going to jump in and connect or I was going to sink. And I didn't think about drinking, but I was in, I had as much despair as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't think about drinking. I didn't think about using. I didn't think about suicide. But if I had stayed in that despair alone, I would have done something like that. No matter of time. Right. Right. Because, you know, there's no, there's no vaccine for this. Yeah. You know, there's constant daily treatment, but there's nothing that's going to just ensure that I'm not going to fall into that trap because life keeps happening. And that is the biggest lesson about recovery for me is that the magic, I really believed when I listened to old timers, and this isn't what old timers said, it's what I guess I heard, that at some point you were sober long enough that it kind of inoculated you to the miseries of life. Mm-hmm. But life continues to happen. It's really just giving you a tool bag to roll with it. Yeah. To deal with it.
0: If you yeah. don't get to get out of it.
2: There's no get out of jail card. Not like life's jail, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Sam, you got some, something? To well,
1: mind. I mean, it just, it, okay. so first of all, Matt, I'm, I'm so glad that that meeting split and it didn't split in a bad way. Uh, it wasn't a resentment in a coffee pot, but uh, it, it, I'm no, so glad. It was we an
0: overflow meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It was an overflow. But what happened has proven to be so helpful to those of us who, who regularly come to that meeting. Um, you know, I refer to you know to the Saturday morning men's meeting. Uh, that front room is the emotional sobriety room. Yeah. And the connection that we have in there is just absolutely uh, incredible. So much so that uh, during all these Zoom meetings that we're doing right now, uh, one of the things that I deprived myself of and caught it, thankfully was I was showing up at the last minute for the Zoom meeting, whereas I would normally show up 10 minutes early or so for the, the physical meeting. Right. And I was missing out on just the, the fraternity in the room, the conversations. Some real uh, relationships have, have developed with the vulnerability that we uh, allow ourselves to have in that room.
2: And, and, and it can I be just a, silly. Long, I mean, it doesn't have to be like deep. Oh soul. yeah. It can be just goofy silliness.
0: Yeah. In fact, the genesis of the boiled Owl coffee club is going to the coffee shop after that meeting, Sam and you and I yep. sitting down talking after the meeting about recovery and just, and joking around and it's like, somebody ought to record this.
2: Here. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are. <laughs>
0: I was thinking of how uh, what you said, Matt, about after a certain period of time, one can get the impression that long-term sobriety is that you know how to deal with everything, and so you don't have to go through such pain. And I just had ter- I had a terrible time a couple of weeks ago with a with a person that I was having. Well, actually, it's been going on for about six months, and it's kind of a uh, it's been difficult and. I needed to let go and I had prayed and everything I want for myself I want for this person and I've been doing that and it wasn't working I mean I wasn't I didn't feel better I felt awful I felt like a failure in AA of being able to work the steps it's like oh I I thought I had it and actually I don't but I ultimately came to the place where I realized no this stuff isn't to get me out of pain. It's to give me a way to get th- to walk through pain and through something that's uncomfortable, and not turn to drugs or alcohol to get out of it. It doesn't get me out of it at all. Right. It I've- also
1: helps us not to um, to create wreckage while getting through it. You and know, i mean yeah granted we've got varying levels of success at that but it still gives me this guidelines for uh for well for not being a dick uh and and having to clean up having stepped
0: on other people's toes along the way it'd be very easy for me to have done something that i would then have to make amends for later and i've been so on top of it to not yeah. get into that position cuz i hate Having to make amends. <laughs> hey, have you had have you had to make amends like immediately in am re- I'm, Let me give you a story. Okay. And see if you see if you can can match it. So I was doing a job. <laughs> see if I can match it. <laughs> <You can laughs> Outdoing Matt. It. Yeah, let's outdo each other. That's right. On our,
1: we're not going to do along comparisons. Step we're going to do sobriety comparisons. That's
0: right. We're going to do a step ten comparisons. Well, I got a better <laughs> step ten than that. <laughs> Let me tell you, like
2: bloodier than yours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing a job on my house painter, and I was pa- and I do decorative finishes. And I went to this new house, and the, it was supposed to be painted by the previous painters. Uh, who were gonna do the base coat painting and then I'm gonna do something fancy on top of it, which this means i we got a little bit of ego in it. This is a problem I have because I'm a a very expensive painter doing this decorative stuff. So I go in and it's not painted right. And there's a painter standing in the kitchen and I was going, what's going on here? This is like, I've had this schedule. This has gotta be redone. I mean, I don't know why you didn't get this done the the right way in the in the first time. I had it all written down what to do, and I walk in, it's not this, so it's going this is gonna put me off for a week or so. And he went, I didn't paint that. I paint. I'm doing the outside. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> no. oh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry about that. And then started, uh, went to another room that was painted right and uh, called the contractor and got him and he's going to get the painters over there. So I start working on this other room and I pull out an, an AA podcast, a, t- a speaker tape, so to speak. I start listening to it and it's on step 10. <laughs> and if we have offended someone, we make amends immediately and we correct it in the moment. When it happens and what? And I'm going, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And there was no nothing for it. And so I took off my headphones and I went outside and the guy was standing up on the ladder painting the outside of the house. And I said, hey, you know, I was completely wrong back there. I totally lost my shit. I'm really sorry I did that. It's got nothing to do with you, and I, you know, I, I wish I hadn't done it. If there's anything I can do, I, I appreciate it, but I just wanted to make amends and let you know that that was bad behavior, and I'm, I'm sorry I did it. And he looked at me and said, you're forgiven. Oh, and that just pissed you off, didn't it? And I was like, whoa, well, I don't wanna be forgiven by you. But- <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to forgive me? You forgive me. Thank you. <laughs> you should have identified yourself before I got started on you. Yeah. No, I just I just said thank you. went back inside. <laughs> it was The whole thing was rough, but you know it was good. I did it, and you know, I got it out.
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess uh, I mean, I can think of a hundred things that happened at work with my coworkers, when I'm at work, I'm literally patient to patient to patient to patient. And I just want people just to, I mean, it sounds as narcissistic as it can be. I just want people to give me information and do things in between patients because I am on a mission and I got a mindset and I can get short and abrupt and brittle. And and I do, I go back and I apologize when I think I'm wrong. Um, sometimes I'm just being the guy in charge. I mean, I, you know, it, there's a difference between being an asshole and being direct. And yeah. sometimes I'm an asshole mm-hmm. and, um, but sometimes I'm just really direct and I'm not being, I'm not necessarily soft selling it each time cause I don't have freaking time, but that's not what's stuck in my mind. What's stuck in my mind. And it's probably because it's most recent is with my daughter. So she is, um, she's my child. She's uh, got as much frustration anger insecurity passion directness and and as verbose as i can be so she will call me out right but at the same time she's 16 and so lots of times she's having entire conversations in her head and i get like this much and my imagination's trying to fill in all the information anyway she has done an amazing job of um She's worked very hard on how she eats and her exercise, and this is driven by her. This is nothing her mom when her mom is alive or me, but something that she desired. And she needed new clothes. And so I was like, yeah, let's get some new clothes, you know? And I didn't set an expectation of what that would be like, and her expectation was different. And so bottom line, her feelings got hurt because she got disappointed, and I got angry, not because her feelings got hurt, but because she wasn't communicating with me. I got so mad I was I was beating on her bed screaming. Now the good news was I wasn't cussing at her, but I was cussing. And I was saying, GD, if you just would tell me what's on your mind, I can I can't read your mind. I I even went so far to say, and you know, you know I'm an available father and I'll come back when I'm wrong, but I can't read your mind
0: mr available there (laughs)
2: right exactly so um i got silent and she looked up at me and she said i just need a few minutes i said okay i don't know how long that lasted that could have been 30 minutes that could have been 45 i went back because she wasn't coming back to me (laughs) i went back to her and you know i sat on her bed and i said can we talk And I said, I am very, very sorry for how I came across. I am not sorry for what I said. I'm very sorry for how I said it. I do need you to communicate with me because I cannot know. I can't read your mind. I need you to do that. And and I'm sorry that when I act that way, it discourages you from doing what I'm asking. Right. Who wants to talk to a raving lunatic? Right. right. (laughs) Um, And it was... This is going to sound weird. It didn't cost me anything to apologize to her. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's because it's my kid and my daughter, right? Maybe if that was, uh, maybe if it was a man because of male pride, maybe if it was someone that I see and, you know, say some of my ego, a subordinate at work, but it didn't feel like it cost me anything. In fact, it felt like me going back and apologizing drew me closer to her. No, I don't know if it did. It could be, in her mind, she might be still cussing me out. You know, I don't know. She might be just as bitter as she can. I don't think she is, but she might be, right? Because she's a teenager. Who knows what goes on in a teenager's mind? But it didn't feel like it cost me anything to apologize, but it's something I had to do. That piece I knew. And I also knew that if I didn't do it, kind of what I was thinking about, Don, when you were telling your story, as painful as it was, at least when you go home, you don't have the lingering like, oh, I should have said something or You know, there is still that reverberation of, I wish I hadn't acted like an ass and I wish, but it's not that, that undone, you know, that loose end that you got to go back and tie up later. It's tied off. Yeah, there's some scar tissue there, but it's tied off. Let's move on kind of thing. And I, and I guess that's what I see the benefit uh, of that particular, you know, interaction with my daughter. And since then, we've been really okay I also probably think the other piece of that was the fact we are in a pandemic and we're stuck in a house together and she's bored out of her mind. And as a dad, I already think that I'm not doing enough to keep her entertained and out of her bedroom, right? But I don't know how much any parent's able to do that with a kid right now. So that was probably playing into it in the back of my mind too, feeling somewhat insecure and like a failure in some respect with her. So that's the most recent one that came to mind, Don, when you asked that question.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. So, I don't do 10th steps. I'm perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never done one. Never had to do one. <laughs> now, Mr. I mean, Lopes. something
1: that comes to mind uh, for me is, is it's work related as well. That uh, a, a longtime client, I was uh, having a remote meeting with her, and there was an issue that she presented. And it turned out that I had made a mistake. Mm. And I had made this mistake about three years ago, and this thing had persisted throughout all this time, and nobody knew it Mm. until we knew it. And one of the things I'm really grateful that I I got early in this program was not needing to be a know-it-all, to be able to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. That has progressed in my recovery experience to also being able to say, I didn't know. Um, I had the, I used the information I had and I did things as best I could. And I'm sorry. Uh, and I don't know how I can make this better. But if there is something that I can do, please tell me. And that is not a normal thing to do in mm. business. Right. You're the, the professional. You right. know, you're never yes. wrong. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, there's a reason you're paying me. It's because I know what you don't know. And that was a humbling moment because there was no fixing this, but when they're ready, we'll change it. But there's no fixing three years of what was affected by it. I just have to accept that and own the fact that I made a mistake. And it's one of those things that there is no way I would have done that pre recovery. Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have done that in early recovery. I would have found some way to make it not my fault. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is, is that stuff is the stuff that I drank at. Oh, yeah. I I would feel like, you know, when I made an ass of myself, then I would be like, oh, yeah, I really made an ass of myself. So now I'm going to be extra Nice and kind of make up for it not apologize but just be real nice and real just oh you know and and so I do that and I still carry the the shame of the way I behaved inside of myself and uh, and in the back of my mind I'm going they think I'm an asshole they I mean that so now I've got this voice running around all the time which the itty bitty shitty committee—I've heard it described, which is all those voices going. That guy thinks that you're arrogant. That guy thinks you're a jerk. That guy, you know that guy th- thinks that you can't do the job. That guy, and you maybe know, they're whatever. right. Yeah, and they're
1: right. <laughs> oh yes. Th- let's throw that imposter syndrome in there too.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. but, you know, one of the things, in my first experience of this was when I did my ninth step, my first ninth step work, uh, and that was. I can look anybody in the eye. Mm. Those people with whom I cleaned up my behavior, my actions, those were the people that I was trying to avoid, those people that I didn't want to run into in the grocery store or whatever. Similarly, this 10th step uh, stuff does the same thing for me. When I own my mistakes and uh, do my best to clean them up as quickly as I can, I can look those people in the eye this client uh, who was also a long time friend.
0: Mm.
1: We're fine. We're fine. But if I had behaved the way that I did pre-sobriety, there's no way that I would be able to to be friends with her and, and be genuine and open and
2: all that. No. Yeah. Can, let me ask you guys this question. Do you, so one of the big, I guess it could be phrased as a defect. Well, no, it is a defect, but that sense of being caught oh they caught me i got caught Mm -hmm. for instance what triggered that was a mistake that no one knew for three years but that well i should have known Mm -hmm. now they caught that is still a reaction i have now i'm better at like catching that in the gut oh no they caught me hang on wait a minute okay you know, what's your part? What are you responsible for? What can you do about it? You know, what are, what's, what's the serenity prayer here? What do you have power? But I still get that, oh, they caught me. And that can be, that can be anywhere. Do you guys ever get that or did that still happen?
0: No, you're unique.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I knew that.
0: I don't know. The one I think about For me, it's like the reason that I am willing to do the steps and all is because of the experience, like that experience of uh, overcompensating, was I was doing a job at uh, the High Point Furniture Market, and uh, it's a showroom of all these furniture. I was doing the foyer. Well, I took a look at it, saw it was ready to go, so we started moving our equipment into this new space to do the painting there. And when I got there, UPS had come and dropped off all these giant boxes that were not very heavy. They were pretty lightweight, but they were all in the foyer and now it's full of boxes. And I was going, what? Now this is back when I was drinking. I started having a temper tantrum and my employees were like, well, okay. And everybody's quiet. And I said, we gotta move these boxes out of here. And there was some guy in a jacket that was standing behind the desk there. And um, I started grabbing boxes and throwing them into the hallway. And he said, those are the lampshades for the showroom that you're throwing. (laughs) And I was going, how do you know what they are? He said, I'm the president of the company. (laughs) No. And he didn't have on I mean he he didn't have on a suit and tie. I mean it's like he wasn't dressed right. So
2: he didn't look like a president.
0: He didn't look like the president. <laughs> I was like,
2: oh oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, we're being a little we're being a little rough with these. And so then I totally changed my personality and went and just became this obsequious little scumbag. It was like <laughs> right. take care of the guy. Right. And Uh, That it's that kind of thing that I don't want to get in that situation again. So I I was, I got caught. um, No, I didn't get caught. I caught myself. I've gotten, I I I tend to catch myself now instead of getting caught.
2: Getting caught. Let me give you another similar to Sam's that, that came to mind was so I have this um, person who works for me and we are having an audit. It's just a standard audit coming up and everybody gets nervous with audits, but it's at our biggest contract. We're sitting down and she's really stressed about it. She's brand new at the profession. She's really good at what she does. She's one of those few gyms that, you know, it's kind of like an artist. Um, I can do paint by numbers, but I'm never going to be an artist. You know, you either got it or you don't, you can't teach it. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with my line of work. You can teach, um, counseling by numbers, but therapists are, they're artists. And I, maybe I could be like becoming too self-important, but that's the way I see it. No, I think it's true. And she's an artist. She's, she's really good at this, but then she's talking about how angry she was at herself because she wasn't prepared for blah, blah, blah. And I was listening to her and I got suspicious and I said, you know, I think you're not just angry at yourself. I th- and I didn't wanna say this. I said, I think you're angry at me. She said, I am, cause you didn't prepare me for this. And I was like, hey. And immediately my first reaction was I got caught. I let her down, I failed, I didn't do my job. Um, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to attack her. She'd done nothing wrong. She, was inappropriate. she wasn't inappropriate, dis- she was direct. But I'm the one who asked the freaking question, right? And I didn't, and I listened to her, but my internal was different than my external. My internal was like, I am good at what I do. I don't make mistakes, right? Because, (laughs) And I put that kind of pressure on me to not. And so when there's those moments where something slips through, it's like, oh my God. Now, I really think it's practicing this program for a while that kept me, because I can tell you, I guarantee you 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have turned it around on her in some way and tried to make her feel guilty. And like, even though I asked the question, you know, I would, have made it all about her. Right. So that was kind of what was in my mind about it. And in, in a lot of ways it was my own internal 10th step in the moment right there. I didn't prepare her. I'm not a failure. I just didn't do that. Even though my first reaction was, damn it, you dropped the ball boy. You messed up. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was thinking about in terms of that. You got caught again. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I, I think one of the things that um, I'm getting from this conversation is I'm going to be aware of this now. I, I think that my leaning is that I have been kind of like Don was saying that, you know, like I catch myself, but I just I, I I'm going to be more mindful of this. Because uh, it sounds like something that uh, is going on that I have not been aware of.
2: Yeah, well, I am actually unique after all. No,
1: <laughs> well, you are. You're, you're absolutely <laughs> unique and special like everyone else.
2: That's
0: right. We're a unique person. Well, <laughs> it's like letting go and not being defensive mm-hmm. over everything. It, and, but, you, but, Matt, it's like, don't you think recovery is really just being awake to what's going on? So, really, what am I doing? Really, what am I, am I giving off? Uh, And being—it's a willingness to really look at what's going on, rather than the uh, appearance of what's going on.
2: Oh, I think it's a beautifully, not overly simplistic statement to say it's being awake to what's going on. Yeah. The whole point in me getting drunk and high was to not be awake. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. That was, it was a good day if I did not know the pain I was in.
1: Temporary oblivion.
2: Right. Now, the other side of that was that I couldn't because it had been so long since I'd felt joy or serenity better yet than joy. I hadn't had that, but I couldn't feel that either when I was asleep and intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And so being awake does, it allows me that range. And, you know, some of that range sucks. <laughs> <laughs> emotion.
1: You will feel better. Yeah. Yeah.
2: More acutely. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But some of that range is, you know, it's really the, man, that's what's living. Like why else live? If you can't feel that range, not, I mean, I'm not a masochist. I'm not like, yeah, let's just be, but if I can't feel the joy of looking at the dog in the face or seeing my daughter when she's satisfied with an accomplishment or, going, man, I had a good day, I did some good work. If I can't feel that, then what's the point of being alive? You know, I had this thought, and that sounds maybe kind of maudlin, but I don't mean it that way. So I just turned 52, right? I feel like I'm in my 30s, but the reality is I'm way over half my life's gone, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a part of me that's like, I mean, part of me is kind of sad about that, but the other part of me is like, well, son, get busy living life to the fullest because it's it's just ticking. It's clicking, right? I think I've spent a lot of my life, oh, we were in a meeting recently and I can't remember who said it. They it it said, I've just kind of been waiting and now I'm 46 and maybe I should quit waiting for life, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, now's the time to, to live it. Now's the time to do it. And I can't say I'm doing that all the time. I still fear gets in the way and blocks me. Embarrassment gets in the way, blocks me. But more and more I'm like, cause I mean, this is my one shot.
0: It is. And yeah.
2: so like, what do I do with it? Even the and fear part, letting go of the fear.
0: Don't, 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 oh, don't give in to the fear. Do you want to live in a cage of fear the rest of your life?
2: Right. Talk about hell.
0: You
1: hell know, I've, yeah. I got to throw out there that, um, I, I have a dark sense of humor and, um, <laughs> And it's, it, you know, it's been in play for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, with Tell with us my mother, something we don't know. Well, right. there's,
2: yes. The Thank more you. irreverent, the better.
1: See, I love that y'all know me. Uh, <laughs> and so, so my mother died in February at, uh, at age 69. Uh, my father died in 2010 at age 60. For all intents and purposes, I'm 50. Greg and I have been looking at our life insurance plans now. And I'm like, dude. You know, I really don't need to get all that much and uh, worry about the term life and all that kind of stuff. Because I mean, if I get to 70, it's going to be amazing. It'll be incredible. And that's just it. It's like this realization and, and it's, I don't know, I, I can't give it too much power, but that both of my parents died in their 60s and I'm 10 years away from my 60s. Okay, I'm going to live.
2: You and know, just, there's a part of me, when I hear that, Sam, there's a part of me, my first reaction is to want to talk you out of that. That's my first reaction. Like to hold on to, the, to life. It's like hold on to life so much you're not even living it. But that's not, but that's not even what you're saying, right? Right. So there's a part of me that wants to say, no, man, you know, you can live longer than that. That's my first <laughs> reaction, right? Yeah. But then, then when I think about, yeah, in this case, I am making it about me empathizing with you and saying you know well wait a minute actually i don't know how much longer we've got uh, nobody mm-hmm.
0: does right and we're
2: in the middle of a bloody pandemic mm-hmm. yeah right so like the cards are like stacked against us as a race more than at least very demonstrably more than what we've experienced on a day-to-day basis so then you know anyway i just wanted to say that was my internal conflict when i heard what you said even though i absolutely agree with that idea of it's limited however time it is. Mm-hmm. If it's 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, it's limited. And I don't think I've really grasped that to the last two years of my life. Well, you you grasp it more and more the older you get, I can
0: tell you that. Yeah. We all die soon. I've got a little song about that. We all die soon. Oh, we all die
2: soon. we I thought you had the oh. modern sense of humor, Sam. I thought,
0: gotcha.
1: <laughs> uh, Don's just sick. That, that there's a difference.
0: Pa 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 we all die soon. Everybody. Ba, 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 we all die soon. Is that but an so owl behind it's you, Don? Old, man. <laughs> That old timer's getting
2: creaky. <laughs> Days are ticking.
0: We better get to the question of the old timer because we don't know if the old timer's going to be here. <laughs>
1: it's time for our old timer's question.
0: Who you calling an old timer?
1: Matt, he's been sober longer than you. <laughs> <I'm screwing> you. <laughs> you, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die.
0: That's well, right. no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time.
2: Yes, yeah. Sunny, Sunny, isn't that right, man? That's absolutely right.
1: <laughs> you can post a question at BoiledOwlAA.org. We have a question from uh, Josephine in Alabama. Josephine says, "I'm nervous about asking someone to be my sponsor. How do you ask someone?"
0: Well, that's a good question. I remember the first time I asked somebody, this guy to be my sponsor, I felt like I was asking a girl that I was really wanted to go out with on a date. And, (laughs) and I knew she was going to say no. And I knew that he was going to say no. And that's the same nerves. It it was very nerve wracking. And, and then like, 15 years in, in being sober, I needed to change sponsors. And and I went through the same thing. It was not any easier because it's like, well, okay, if I ask this guy, what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do? I don't want to do what I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to be willing, don't I? So I need to ask somebody, but I don't know. It was awful. It was what went on. But so it's kind of just a natural uh, natural feeling and you just walk through it and do it anyway because I have to have a sponsor I mean I know how the steps work Lord knows as long as I've heard them I've got memorized I've got whole sections of the big book memorized but that doesn't have a thing to do with the fact that I live inside of myself and my own emotions so I'm all all my emotions color all my thinking and I need somebody who's not inside of me, looking at me, I'm told I have a ball spot on the back of my head. I can't see it, but other people tell me that, and I've grown to trust other people. (laughs) And then, you know, I really do have a ball spot back there, but I can't see it. And it's the same way with my emotions and my behavior and all of that. So I need that sponsor to do it. So I just go ahead and Go ahead and ask. And one of the fears is that what if they turn me down? If a sponsor turns me down, it's because they're too busy or they're not right for me. So it's not really that much about me. It's about what that person's able to do. Then there's somebody else will come along. There's a lot of people in A. And I mean, you guys tell me, but I don't know if it really matters who the sponsor is, as long as it's somebody who's like working the program effectively. It turns out anybody that I sponsor, I end up with a relationship with them that's that's strong. So, it, you know, I don't know what's best for me and I don't know the best way for it to work out. So I might have it in my mind that there's this one person that has to be my sponsor. Not my, that might not be true. So feel the fear and do it anyways. My answer.
2: There you go. Yeah. Matt, what do you say? So I have to tell a quick story about how I got my first sponsor. Cause I was that scared too. The simple answer to the question is there's no wrong way. Just do it. Right. Even if it's embarrassing, and you stumble through it and you, you know, just do it. And I had the same experience I felt like I was a 15 year old asking a girl out for mm-hmm. first dance, you know, like, my God, what's going to happen if he says no, right? What does that mean about me, that, that deep sense of rejection? So for my first sponsor, the, the man I was telling you about, 6'4", older guy, real intimidating. I knew I wanted him to be my sponsor, so I asked somebody else to ask him for me. So a <laughs> wingman, Right, <laughs> so just in case he said no, there was going to be like a layer of cushion. <laughs> so, so, so what he did was he called me up, and he said, Matt, this is Tom, I'll be your sponsor, but ask me questions directly from now on. Don't go through, her name was Pat. <laughs> I, through Pat and I was like, yes sir, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't trying to be scared and intimidated. I was intimidated by my own shadow at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like he was this big, scary, mean guy. I don't want to portray him that way at all. So that was, I can relate to the, the fear of asking. Um, and I've had, I think, six or seven sponsors I've had sponsors um, die, I've had sponsors return to use, I've had sponsors move. And my first sponsor, I started dating his daughter. So that, I had to change that relationship. And he's the one who had, cause I wanted to hold on to that relationship. And he was like, Matt, I can't be your sponsor cause you can't talk to me about some things. Mm-hmm. And he was right. I, you know, talk about self-absorbed thinking I could talk to him about my relationship with his daughter. Right? That would not work. <laughs> So each time I've had to get a new sponsor and the sponsor I've got now, you know, I was just as nervous. Now, the difference was I did, the time period I I w- waited was much shorter.
0: Right. Yeah. So, um,
2: but I was just as nervous and I've, you know, I haven't been told no, but if I were told no, my first reaction would be like, what's wrong with me? But I want to echo what, what Don said. It's, if someone says no, it's not about you, it's about them and their particular life circumstances at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. My first ask, the, the first person that I asked to, uh, to be my sponsor, and he said no. <laughs> to, to add a layer of the, the fear for me was being a gay man. Mm -hmm. Asking a man to be my sponsor is even more like asking a guy out on a date.
0: It's
1: more (laughs) like like, it, I guess. um, And and I came into these rooms afraid of men anyway. Mm -hmm. And Alan's a straight man. And, um, you know, I was challenging myself by asking a straight man to sponsor me. But I, you know, I, I finally screwed up the courage and did it. And he said no. And the reason that he said no was that he was full. He did not have availability to be my sponsor. And he suggested that I ask one of his sponsees, yeah. and I couldn't do it. It took every single bit of courage that I had to ask Alan. And I was talking with friends that night at dinner. These were people that I had had come to know in these rooms because it was like eight months before I asked for my uh, the first I, I, I saw a sponsor. But sitting there telling my friends about what had happened. One of them said, well, Sam, I'll be your temporary sponsor. Oh. And she was my temporary sponsor for four years. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was fantastic. Um, one of the things that I have found is that my choosing my sponsor is not as good for me as allowing my sponsor to show up. Mm. And the way that works for me, uh, it started with my first sponsor where she said, I'll be your sponsor. And then there were other sponsors that I asked and uh, a lot of people know my story of, you know, a bad idea sounded good at some point. And I, uh, I wound up starting over with uh, uh, and, and I got another sponsor assigned to me. And that's when I realized when I looked back that it was working with sponsors that had been given to me, so to speak, than those that I had selected that I was better off because when I was selecting someone, I was choosing someone that I couldn't necessarily be completely honest and open with because there was something about them that I wanted to impress. And so now I ask people, who do you think would be a good sponsor for me? So I go and I I still look for that person in the rooms that I trust, who's working a program and, and who obviously is living it outside of the meetings. And then I ask them, who do you think, would be a good sponsor for me. And that has served me really well.
2: I love that, Sam, because that's like an act of faith. That's faith in action. I mean, I, I love that because, you know, I, I struggle with this whole idea of faith and spirituality and talk, you know, Don, you're talking about, you're an old timer. You shouldn't have a hard time with the steps. I'm an old timer. That's weird to say, but I shouldn't have a problem with this, this concept of God, but I do. And then just hear Sam, you, you just saying very clearly the act of faith in allowing a, being open and present to the sponsor that is, well, my version is the universe presents to you. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Matt, thank you for joining us. This is a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for asking me. It's been a real
0: Sam, pleasure. Sam. Yes, sir. I have low self-esteem problems. Ask Matt if he had a good time today. <laughs>
1: oh, hey. Hey, Matt, yes. Don really likes you, (laughs) and he wants to know if you had
2: a good time today. Tell Don (laughs) that I was really nervous at the beginning, and that went away, and I had a blast. This was a lot of fun.
1: Don, Matt likes you, too.
0: Sam, Matt told me you're stuck up.
1: There you go. Now, Don, I think you need to work a 10th step right now.
2: (laughs) Thanks, guys. Two instigators here, boy.
1: (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. could be the meeting before the meeting, because time means nothing now.
2: <laughs> groundhog Day, over and over and over. And the solution
1: is still the same, just it like is, it was it. for Bill Murray. Nice. Yeah. It, it, it's it become is. selfless.
2: <laughs> In this analogy, who's Bill Murray, or is it a metaphor? No, it's an analogy.
0: I think mm. we all are. Okay. Yeah. Although I feel more like the groundhog.
1: Now I'm in this version,
0: it. it's a boiled owl that, uh, we're, we're dealing with, uh,